0: Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Uh, If you're new uh, to the Rick and Bubba Bible Study, we sure do welcome you. Uh, You may be thinking, all right, I'm I'm getting toward the end of a series, and and you would be. We have this session and then one more, uh, and then we'll wrap up uh, the current uh, curriculum that we're going through, and that would be The Unsaved Christian from a, a book authored by Pastor Dean and Sarah. But if you want to go back and and get even the episodes in this series that you missed, uh, you can go back to the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, click on Playlist. You'll see Wednesday Bible Study. You'll see them listed there. Or if you just want to do audio only, go to BurgessMinistries.com, and you can click on Listen, and you can go to the Wednesday Bible Study there, and you can see episodes you may have missed in this series. Or you can go back for several years and, and see a series that we've done in the past. All that is available to you, and uh, we thank you for being with us today, uh, no matter how many times you've been in the Wednesday Bible study. But if you've been following this series, uh, you know this has been one that has garnered a lot of self-examination. And today we'll talk about even more uh, examination of maybe people in your family or people that you know, uh, because now we're getting to what should we do uh, with the unsaved Christians that are in our midst. And we'll unpack that. A couple of notes uh, the ManChurch.com is still available for any of you that would like to fully implement a men's discipleship strategy. Uh, we have a 40-week curriculum available for you. We have a game plan on how you can get men into services, how we can do events or, or whatever. If you feel like that your men's ministry is lacking in your community or in your church, we are here to come alongside you and to help you with resources designed by men for men and a strategy that we've been working on for over four years uh, that has been producing some great results. So We'd love to help you if there's any way that we can. As a matter of fact, First Baptist Church in Opelika is one of the over 40 churches that are implementing our strategy right now. And Our very own Mark Garnett, who is one of our speakers and teachers, will be speaking to those men. Uh, If you're listening live uh, uh, or you're catching this on the day that it was recorded or somewhere near, He'll be there on August the sixth, which would be Tuesday night. I mean, sorry, Thursday night of this week, uh, there at First Baptist Church, Opelika. If you'd like to go to their service uh, and hear Mark Garnett uh, do some teaching, you can certainly do that. Also, the Gridiron Men's Conference in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, is coming up on August twenty-first, twenty-second. Michael W. Smith in concert. Charles Billingsley uh, handling praise and worship. Uh, David Jeremiah will be speaking. Uh, Steve Farrar, Josh Rivas. I'll be joining that lineup along with Phil Waldrop. That'll be in Huntsville, and your men are welcome to come. Remember, fewer seats because of the pandemic and the spacing, but we would love to have you there. And Now more than ever, men gathering together in uh, uh, in a praise and worship uh, weekend is desperately needed, and all of our Man Church resources will be there too. If you'd like to see other things that we're doing, uh, you can go to BurgessMinistries.com and click on Events, and all those upcoming events and gatherings are there. Let's open in a word of prayer, and we'll jump right in to part 13 of the Unsaved Christian. Lord, please help us today. Help us to hear exactly what you are saying. Help us to heed the words that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. May we, we not be abusers of the grace that you have given us. Let us be thankful for the grace you have afforded, it, afforded us, and by faith in you, that we then live out uh, our salvation. We live out our faith. Uh, we do go and make disciples just like you've instructed us to do so. And help us, Lord, to, to not be so uncomfortable with discipling the cultural Christians that are all around us. And may we also examine ourselves to ask an uncomfortable question. Am I a cultural Christian? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So today's going to mainly be focused on what do you do with the unsaved Christians, which we know doesn't exist, but you understand why that's a provocative title, uh, people who think they're saved, but the Bible would say by that standard uh, that, that they likely aren't. I'm a recovering cultural Christian. I'm a recovering unsaved Christian, so I certainly understand everything that's been talked about in this study and also the approach that must be taken today. Uh, today, the, the, the title of, of the chapter in the book, which is chapter fifteen, even though this is, uh, you know, session thirteen for us, because a couple times we did two chapters, uh, the harvest is plentiful, challenging cultural Christianity with courage and love. Uh, it's a great statement here from Jared Wilson. When when you think about this phrase, he said when you're when you're trying to reach the cultural Christians in your life, uh, and this happened in my own life, so I understand this. Jared Wilson says. You don't have to bring the fire, you don't have to bring the thunder, bring the the whatever. Meaning you don't have to be uh, you know, you don't have to go after them so aggressively. He says, "Just bring the gospel. It will bring the thundering." You know, the gospel and what the gospel says and the and and, and the clarity of the gospel is thunder enough. And and many times uh, you know, we we think we have to come up with this great presentation or I've got to really You know, go after this person. I got to really challenge them. And certainly there's nothing wrong with that, especially in men's ministry. However, the gospel clarity is what's missing in the cultural Christian. Remember, this is a specific group of lost people, and reaching them is different than reaching the agnostic and reaching the atheist. Remember, we've covered that. This is not the same thing, it's a different approach. Um, Jesus talked about this, and this is why we want to make this clear. And uh, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, Luke chapter 10, here is Jesus talking about this harvest. He says, the harvest in, in verse two, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And you're saying, you know, if you're listening to this or watching this, well, Rick, that's not a new concept. I mean, I've I've heard that before. Got it, but I think what may be a new concept is that we don't understand this harvest that Jesus is talking to includes the cultural Christian, and too many times in the Western Church, especially the American Church, it's as if we ignore one of the most obvious harvest. Uh, the pastor Dean and Sarah started this chapter, giving the analogy of his children and they're different ages, looking for Easter eggs. And he said, you know, the older children, the Easter eggs are harder to find. Uh, the second child down, they're a little easier, but still some difficulty. But for the baby, they're right in front of them. Uh, so, So this is one of the things you need to think about. Reaching the cultural Christian does not involve a passport. It does not involve a lot of money. It does not involve learning a new language. I'm thinking about my wife right now of, some um, uh, ministry that we feel called to in in the French-speaking nations. Well, she's learning French. Uh, But on this particular harvest, none of these things are required because we are standing and you are standing right in the middle of the field. You don't have to go anywhere. It's right in the middle. And I've told you this analogy before talking to... um, a person that I know about this very thing, because he was making the point, which is correct. He was making the point about the call to go to the ends of the earth. Sometimes people don't have the means to do that. Sometimes people, it, it takes a lot of money to go to the ends of the earth. And those of us that have been afforded uh, you know, ways to raise that money or we have the money ourselves, that's great. But he was talking about you don't really have to go to the ends of the earth to find lost people, and he is absolutely correct. He said, these people are are standing in the church, these people are right across the street, and he is right. But the question that was asked after that is the question we ask today, well, then what are you doing about it? I mean, do we we really not know that cultural Christians and uh, lost people are all around us? Uh, I think we know that, and we'll even talk about that. You don't have to go to the ends of the earth to find lost people. You're right. But are you doing anything about it? That's the bigger question. And sometimes it's because it's uncomfortable, and we're going to talk about that today. So so know that there is a mission field inside the church you attend and the neighborhood in which you live and the family that you have right now. But then the thought is, what what are the approaches? And the pastor who wrote the book, Dean and Sarah, talks about these three primary things. So, if you're taking notes, and today this will be easier to follow because it's going to be pretty straightforward. You need to write down that there's three primary things. So, we've talked about this verse a lot in the chapter and the verses in Matthew seven, and I'm gonna I'm gonna unpack those again because this really takes on people who claim one thing but live another in the cultural Christian. Would be involved with the false teachers and the false prophets. So anyway, the first thing you need to write down, if you're going to reach that 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 harvest uh, that is right that you're the, the fields you're standing in the middle of, meaning the cultural Christian, number one, there must be a refusal to be in denial about the fact that these people are lost. Uh, that you 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 have to stop this illusion that you think that everything's going to be all right with this person that you may know, this person that you may love, that that you keep thinking, I see things that I know are troublesome, but I just want it to be okay. you got to stop with the denial. And I'll give you some more specifics about this. But here's what Jesus said about cultural Christianity or, or any form of Christianity that doesn't cost you anything, especially your sin. He's talking in verse 13 and 14, and we've heard this many times, but but it can't be emphasized enough. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is actually wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Okay, Some of you heard me teach this before, but it's important because it fits into this, this session and this, this part of the study perfectly. So what, what Jesus Christ is saying, these are, these are in red letters, Jesus Christ says, "If you want to know where most people are, they are. They have entered through a gate, and they are on a path that is wide and it is easy, but it leads to destruction, and many are going there." This is talking about people that that you'll think I've done. I remember this in cultural Christianity. It was, and I talked about this a little bit last week. I just wanted to know enough about the gospel and enough about Jesus that I could get. My salvation taken care of, but as we talked about, because I grew up in the Bible Belt, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I want you to save me, but I really don't want you interfering with my life. Well, that, that's the gate that is wide and easy. There's no sacrifice. There's no denying self. Uh, there's there's no being concerned about the severity of sin. There's no being concerned about holiness. There's no being concerned about obedience. Uh, I pretty much live the same way the rest of the world lives, except I go to church m- Every now and then, and I believe in Jesus, that's the road that is wide and easy. But Jesus says that's the road to destruction. So you don't want to be on that road. But the cultural Christian absolutely is on that road. So what does the the gate look like uh, that, that we enter to follow Jesus? Well, Jesus says in verse 14 of Matthew 7, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. See, We've been talking a lot about starting in verse 21 of Matthew 7 throughout this study and many of our other studies. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name, and you could write down have Bible verses on our house, uh, have bumper stickers on our car, uh, you know, buy catchy shirts that have phrases on them. Did, 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 we, not, did we go to church on most Sundays? We, we we're involved in some of the church activities. But Jesus will say, uh, I never knew you. Depart from me, you're workers of lawlessness. I, I didn't know you. You may have known about me, but I don't know you, and you've done a lot of things in my name, but you were never you had never entered the narrow gate. That's why Jesus starts uh, when he starts this 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 discussion about the you know the proof of our salvation is in the way we live, he starts out by saying most people are claiming my name, but I don't know them. The ones that I know have entered the narrow gate, and they're on the way that is hard because it's not easy to concentrate on sanctification and holiness. It's not easy. To, to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ, deny yourself while that flesh keeps saying me, me, me. It's not easy to deny self and follow Jesus. It's not easy to pick up your cross. It's not easy uh, for sin to be removed from your life and you don't do whatever you want to do. It's not easy to be rejected uh, by the world when they when they see that you're devoted to Jesus. Those things are not easy. As a matter of fact, they can be so difficult that it doesn't appear that many people are willing to do it because Jesus uses the word few. And I have not been uh, and and received any seminary degree yet in Greek, uh, but I can Google it, and the word that's being used here is the Greek word for not many. So this this notion that we have and and all these mega churches and the Bible bet that all these people are are going to heaven, it just isn't true. And Jesus says, if you want to know which ones are with me and which ones aren't, Uh, See the ones that are producing fruit, obedience, sanctification, and selflessness. See the ones that may still stumble but don't live in deliberate, perpetual sin. So we must come out of the denial because that road that's wide and easy is filled with false assurance, rationalizing sin, religious moralism, and grace abuse. That that's what the road that is wide and easy, um, that uh, that Jesus is talking about. So w- here's some other things we have to look at uh, when we talk about uh, you know the denial that there's people that you love and know that that are lost. Number one, we've got to stop giving people passes that we go to church with that we won't give the heathen. You know, you ever notice that? I've noticed that that people in cultural Christianity. Always love to be very passionate about sins that they don't struggle with are the sins of people they don't know. But when it comes to their own family, when it comes to their own church members, suddenly we're giving a church member a pass on something we would not give someone a pass on outside of the church. See, that's that denial about cultural Christianity. You know, I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen in churches. You know, out here. And uh, the people who aren't part of our church, those people who we know are lost, they've got a child in rebellion. They've got a uh, child that is doing this and doing that, and that means they're a terrible parent. Uh, you know what? That's a child not being raised in a Christian home. I'll tell you why that happens because they're not raised by Christians. But then we'll have a family uh, inside our church that their child is doing exactly the same thing, and suddenly we all have become very gracious about that. Well, you know, now we start dumbing down Jesus and dumbing down the standard because this is one of our church members. Uh, This is one of our friends. Uh, This is my family member. How many times have you watched? And I can think of examples in my head right now. And our family has gone through this. When they'll have, uh, they'll have, they'll be so bold about some blasphemy, some some, some thing, something in Scripture that's called sin, that is rebellion against Jesus Christ, and they will be so passionate about it until one of their kids starts doing it. And then once their kids do it, they go, well, now nah, I love my kid now. And all of a sudden, God's changed his standard for their kid. Is that really loving the kid? So we have to stop this denial. We, we can't be like sports fans and and people in politics. You know, the, the the political party that I support uh, doesn't do anything wrong. That other political party does everything wrong. And if my guy does the same thing their guy does, it's okay. But if their guy does it or woman does it, then I hate it. Same, same thing with sports teams. My team does everything right. Your team cheats. Now, when my team does something that was a lot like your team, there was probably a reason because we our coach didn't do those kind of things, but your coach will do anything to win. It, it's stupid. And and so We have this same denial when it comes, and I understand the difficulty. Look, I completely understand the difficulty. I've been in these difficult places, but you have to understand that there's a standard that Jesus Christ says he's called his followers to, and if your family members aren't doing it and your friends aren't doing it, you don't really love them if you're not willing to sit down and say, let's have a discussion about our faith. I mean, I had one last week with someone I love. We sit down and we talk about it, and some of you have got to stop the denial, and I I speak to this from experience, especially involving your family or your friends. Uh, How many more Instagram posts are you going to see of your children at college and you know what's going on? How many more times of this child that you keep telling everybody's a Christian and they keep telling you they're a Christian for some cultural, traditional reason or some church you attend, how many times are you going to look on Instagram? Do you really think that all those people that are drinking and raising cane around your child and your child was smart enough not to have their picture made with the beer actually in their hand, do you really believe that's not going on? Uh, Those of you that have daughters, how many more pictures of your daughter uh, with, with, barely clothed with some sexual pose uh, are you going to see on 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 her social media that you might have a d- discussion with her about her faith? How many more times are, are you going to see things that are glaring and you just hope it's all going to work out? Can I speak to you from experience? It's not. If you want to head this stuff off at the past, the minute you see it rise up, you need to deal with it and come off this denial and this illusion that this person is a devout follower of Christ and just hope it's all going to work out because you know this person was taken to church when they were a kid. When you see these things that are glaring, you got to deal with them, especially if you love this person. Sit down, have the conversation, talk about the things that don't seem to add up, and if it's in your own life, then deal with them in your own life. That's exactly how I was taken out of cultural Christianity because someone sat down with me and said, let's review your life, let's talk about your behavior, let's talk about your language, let's talk about uh, these sins in your life. How can you justify your faith and still be doing these things and do them deliberately and perpetually? perpetually. If, if I had not been told that, where, where would I be now? And and The people who didn't tell me that really didn't love me. My mother questioned my salvation. I'm so thankful. Thank you, Mama, for doing that. Because you know what she said? How can you be living like this? She didn't justify me because I was her boy. Well, that's my son. I know he's a Christian. Well, he don't live like one. And if you keep letting this go, the longer you let it go, the harder it's going to be to do something about it. So the second thing, so first of all, we know that the first thing we have to make sure that we do, if we're going to reach out, and we're going to take care of this harvest that we're standing in the middle of. That's the harvest of the lost cultural Christian. We must refuse to be in denial, and we must stop overlooking things that are glaring. The next thing is, we need to have gospel clarity. I mean, we 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 have to understand, um, you know, exactly what is the gospel. Uh, we have to be clear about it, and we got to talk to these people about what the gospel actually says, aside from human sin if we could label one primary cause of cultural Christianity uh, it would be confession over what the gospel is and what the gospel is not and that second part is is crucial it's one of the things I love about the way scripture is written because I think too many times we we focus a lot and there's nothing wrong with that on what scripture says like for instance in the first um, Corinthians 13. I go to this every time I get to speak at a marriage conference or a marriage event, I go here because if you're dealing with marriage, then we have two people that declare at some point that they at least they think they love each other. and so what Paul says, oh, so you say that you that you love, well, I'm going to tell you what God's standard of love is and you go, okay, I can follow that, but don't miss and this happens in scripture a lot and it happens with the gospel. Don't miss what love isn't. You know, Keep in mind, Jesus said, this is how you pray, but he also says, this is how you don't pray. And It's that second part that we never want to look at. You think, well, I heard how you're supposed to do it. Well, you might want to check on how not to do it, because that's important too. If not, you may think something's okay, but scripture's addressed it and said, this is not the way to do it. Uh, so we, we must be aware of what the gospel is, but we also must be aware of what it's not. We must be aware in 1 Corinthians 13... Here's what love is, but here's what love isn't. Here's how to pray. Here's how not to pray. We have to have that same uh, view of the gospel. So, and and you hear this all the time. And some of these sentiments in the church, they're good sentiments, and they're fine. There's nothing wrong with people who, especially, don't like conflict, and we shouldn't engage in foolish arguments. But you hear people say this all the, any time. There's something going on, like somebody saying, you know. Um, uh, god's standard is this, and this is not how it's done. And what does somebody say? Well, we as the church need to be we need to be known for what we're for, not always what we're against. well that's sweet, that's a sweet thing to say, and we certainly should be known for what we're for, but it's not sinful and it's not wrong to also point out what we're not for. because see this whole attitude let's just always talk about what we're for. Well, then that's great. But you have to also be able to talk about what God's against, not just what he's for. You have to. Because if you don't talk about what God's against, then you lose the severity of sin. Yes, God's for uh, 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 the grace. Hey, I'm for grace. I'm I'm for redemption. Man, hallelujah, that's fantastic. I'm for love one another. I'm for treat uh, people the way you want to be treated. That's great. I'm for forgiveness. Yes. But he's also against things, and that's something that we must know, and, and the reason why this, let's be known what we're for, not we're, what we're against, it's trendy, but it's dangerous, because it probably that's probably an idea that a cultural Christian came up with. You know why? I wish everybody would start pointing out the things in my life I'm doing that don't seem to be under the authority of Christ. Let's talk about the things I am doing. What, coming to church? Well, that's what they would mean. Why well, come to church? Uh, I'm a good person. So that goes back to that country music stuff we were talking about last week. Uh, You know, Jesus likes me just the way I am because I'm I'm pretty nice to people I like, you know. And and that's not Jesus Himself said. Wow, that's a that's a real accomplishment to be kind to people you like. What about loving your enemies? Uh, What about What about you don't have bitterness against someone who wronged you? What about you stick by God's standard of of sexual purity? Well, why don't we talk about what we're for? Uh, God's for forgiveness. He is, but He's also for sexual purity. He's also for one man, one woman, and that's marriage. And He's against any other form of that. So, so you have to be able to do that. And that's where you, if you don't do that, then a cultural Christian or unsaved Christian will sit in a place of comfort, going, "I guess I'm okay." Or don't do anything to challenge it. If you want to get someone to come out of, look, I'm one of them. If you want to come out of the smoke and mirrors and the, and the illusion of, of cultural Christianity, you're going to have to clarify the gospel and God's standard. And that's going to require you knowing uh, some things that are in Scripture. You, you need to understand what something is not in order to grasp what something actually is. And I gave you the example of 1 Corinthians. So, uh, so look up if, if the book in, in page eighty four. Uh, there, there was a, a, some great clarification on this, and uh, and I underlined some of these. So let's now talk about we we understand what the gospel is. What what is the gospel? The gospel is that uh, that, that God was is holy, and and sinful man is separated from God and so what God said is that I will go to them because they cannot come to me. I will take on human flesh. I will live out a perfect life, 100% man, 100% God. I will go to the cross, and I will pay the price that must be paid. I I, I talked to someone this week, and I said, now, are you a many ways to heaven person? And they said, well, not really, but can can you help me with that? I said, well, I can help you with that pretty quick. If there's other ways to heaven... Other than God taking on human flesh and and uh, and having Himself brutalized and murdered and crucified and slaughtered on the cross, if there was another way for people to be redeemed, that makes zero sense. Why would God even fool with that? What, what, what does God, God take some jolly and and taking His Son and toast and throwing Him on a cross and slaughtering Him, even though that's not necessary? Well, no, uh, it was necessary, and the cross is our only hope. So Jesus goes to the cross, he pays the price, he's brutalized, he goes into the tomb, he comes out after three days, he then defeats, he's already defeated our sin, now he defeats eternal death. And then he says, any of us who now believe that he did that and we repent of sin, repent means you turn a 180, completely turn, hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm, this is my sin right here, I turn around a one eighty. I, I look to Jesus. I say, I repent of my sin. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and, and I come under His authority. I repent of my sin and uh, and He forgives me of my sin, and then I believe that He was uh, He was, He came out of the tomb on the third day, that His Father rose Him from the dead, because uh, with the heart uh, we believe and with the mouth we confess and that we will be saved, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Jesus uh, in in the book of Luke says, repent or perish. See, that repentance part is what's missing a lot uh, out of the cultural Christian's version of the gospel. The cultural Christian's version of the gospel is grace abuse. It's a a demonic faith. I I believe all the things about Jesus, and I believe that he loves me, and I believe that he forgives me, and I believe that he likes me just like I am, and he meets me where I am. He does, but he doesn't leave you there repentance is key, repentance. So let's talk about then. So that's what the gospel is. Let's talk about what it's not. The gospel is not church attendance. People don't go to church to be saved. They go to church because they are saved. The gospel is not be sincere and be a good person. This right here is not a book, as you heard me already say, of how good people go to heaven. No, it's a book about how redeemed people go to heaven because uh, we, our God is holy and he demands repentance. That's what this is about. The gospel is not theism. Big man upstairs, I believe in some force. I believe in some, some version of God that created everything and loves us. The gospel is not heritage. You are not a Christian because your family is Christian. You're not a Christian because somebody did something to you when you were a baby. No, you're, that does not make you. It's not heritage. Uh, the gospel is not ethnicity. Uh, it has nothing to do with ethnicity. Scripture says that ethnicity uh, all comes together under, under one race of people under the authority of Christ. Your ethnicity does not make you saved. The gospel is not making Jesus your co-pilot or your lucky charm or some hippie. That's not the gospel. So we we you got to know what it is, but you also got to know what it's not. The gospel is such good news that we must make sure we get it right. It is the word about Jesus Christ and what he did for us in order to restore us to the right relationship with God. As Tim Keller stated, great statement here, through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from the judgment for sin and to the fellowship with him. So we deserve judgment, and then he graciously brings us into fellowship through Jesus with him, God has done what we couldn't possibly have done for ourselves, full salvation through the life and sacrificial death of his perfect son and and also an ever-sufficient substitute in our atonement for our sins. The cultural Christian harvest is abundant, so the workers must be clear on exactly what the gospel is, but also equally clear on what it is not. So, we've got to have what? We've got to stop our denial. That's, that's number one. Refuse to be in denial about whether the people you love and know are saved or not saved. You can look at their life and easily know this. You see these warnings. You see these, 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 these red flags, and you need to deal with it. Secondly, you must have clarity of the gospel. Now, number three, and this is a tough one, number three, Boldness to speak the truth in love. This I'm, this one gets tough. Reaching a cultural Christian requires boldness. It does require boldness. I am so thankful that Rick Cagle was bold enough to call me out. And I look back and I think about all the people that were in my life, and, and really other than my parents and Rick Cagle um, and... Um, I'm trying to think if there was really anybody else in my life that was bold enough to call me out, and I can't think of any because other than them, the reason why there were so few is because I wasn't the only cultural Christian in the bunch. I don't recall any of my friends that said they were agnostic or atheists, but we all lived in deliberate, perpetual sin. Uh, so, it took boldness to be able to step up and, and say, um, you know, this is not the gospel. There is no evidence of lordship and, and repentance in your life, but it's a different kind of courage uh, versus going, like, say, to, to reach the persecuted church or, or losing your job. It's a different kind of courage, you know. So, don't look at it that way. Uh, when you're reaching a cultural Christian, you're certainly not going to be martyred in a physical way, and, and you're not going to lose your job over it, and you're not going to be canceled by the cancel culture. But now your relationship with that person is at risk. Uh, your rela- Some people don't like these kind of conversations. Uh, but you must be willing to say that your devotion to Christ um, or the, the fruit that is in your life You know it it isn't there because um, you know you you have to be willing to sit down with the cultural Christian because we've talked about this a lot during this study. Most of the time, your cultural Christian family members and your friends, and some of you watching this, it's going to be your family members and your friends that call you out on being a cultural Christian. But but whatever that situation is. You have to understand that in their minds, they think they're, they're just as much a Christian as anybody, but you, if you're a devout follower of Jesus, you're just a little more into church than they are. And you have to be willing to say, no, it's not that. It, it really isn't that. I'm not just into it more than you are. I'm actually the fruit of true redemption, and you aren't. I mean the things that you we see in your life to you know with your friend or your friend or your family member, um, it, it's, it's just it's just true salvation. What you're seeing in my life is not that I'm into church more than you are. Or I'm into the Bible more than you are. You're seeing me be transformed because I'm actually saved. And the reason why you're not being transformed, isn't because you're not as into church as I am or you don't like to read. So that's why you don't read the Bible and you're just not as into it. It's because you're lost and I'm not. And and that's a very difficult line to walk. But if you truly love somebody, you're willing to do it. And, uh, and it's not for you to boast about some newfound moral code or, I've developed some self-control. Uh, so 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 take that on. Say that to them. Say, look, I want to be clear. I've had this conversation with people. I want to be clear. I've not developed some form of self-control. I haven't developed some new moral code. And I am not to be applauded in any way, shape, or form. What you're looking at is the power of Jesus. It d- doesn't that make sense? Doesn't that make sense to you? We're talking about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're talking about that, that every single person of God has been here since the beginning of anything. We're talking about that God says through Jesus and the Holy Spirit that his seed will come into our spirit and make it alive. Don't you just understand that if your life has not been changed it's not because there's not enough power in god who spoke creation who raised people from the dead who who took a few pieces of fish and some bread and fed 5000 people i mean that went to the cross and then walked out of the tomb alive The power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, and it can't change your behavior? See, when you think like that, you kind of realize that's just not true. So any behavior that hasn't been changed in me, it it isn't because God's not powerful enough to do it. And, And that's the kind of conversations that really help me. Look, there's nothing special about those of us that have truly been redeemed, but there's something incredibly powerful about Jesus my first prayer like we, you guys talked about I saw some of you have have, uh, have been looking at it and even putting it out on Twitter and it's true Jesus the bottom line is I can't do anything but I know you can i i don't I don't love you yet but I know that you love me teach me to love you through your power and your presence the difference in my life from being a cultural christian to being a christian is night and day it was not a slight adjustment and and I didn't do it. Jesus did it. What did I do? I was willing to submit. I was willing to repent. Yes. But I can't change me. All I did was, the power you offer, I'm in. And, and I was ready for the first time to say, whatever that looks like, do it. Uh, and I found the things that he took away from me that I thought I just had to have seemed so trivial and silly. But the cultural Christian doesn't know that yet, because all they've got is a form of Christianity that, in all fairness, doesn't have a lot of power. It really doesn't. You know, To be identified as a Christian is sometimes just something that might be socially expedient, but there's no power in it. It's when you actually become a follower of Jesus where the power comes from. But yes, and so when you're speaking back to 1 Corinthians 13, which I've already mentioned, you do have to do this in love. If I speak in the tongues of of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging crystal. It has to be done out of love and concern for them. Now listen to this. This is important. Certainly out of concern to them, but maybe more important, out of love for Jesus, out of a love for the gospel, we love Jesus so much, we can't allow people to go out with versions of the gospel that blaspheme our Lord and Savior. You know, that's one of the things that um, I told you about the, the book that I know many have read long before me, and, and, uh, and that's uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, who passed away on July 17th of this year. That, that, that's been stuck in my mind. You might know about God and still not know God. And one of the characteristics, he said, of those who really know God is that they defend him. That people who know God stand up for God. It bothers them when they see God being blasphemed. So we should certainly do it because we love that person, certainly. But we should also do it because we love the gospel, and we don't like seeing it being blasphemed, or we don't like others to see a confusing version of it. You realize when we let these cultural Christians just go unchecked in our family, in our church, in our acquaintances, our friends, when we allow these things to go unchecked, have you ever thought about how many people that affects? If you're afraid about infecting somebody with COVID-19, be just as afraid about people being affected with a false gospel, because it will cost them their life eternally. All of us are going to live forever. Every single person was created by God for that spirit to live forever. The only thing that's up for decision is where you'll live forever. When you start thinking about that right now, and you really look, I mean, thinking about somebody, you're just, I mean, would you just let people you love just play in traffic? and say, well, that's what, you know, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. That's what they enjoy. They'll be okay. Maybe, maybe the car won't hit them. But see, if you are not sure that someone that you love is truly redeemed, then you really don't love them. And if you're willing to let people go out and blaspheme the gospel, you really don't love Jesus. If you can't do it for those two reasons then maybe you may be the cultural Christian that somebody needs to talk to you. I don't know that. Only you know that. This can easily offend. There's no doubt about that. It it can offend someone when you go down this road, but it's, it's worth it. Was I offended the first time somebody did this with me? I was, but I got over it because I couldn't get out of my mind what I was told. But the key is to try to build a relationship of trust with the person that you're talking to. You certainly don't want to be self-righteous. You certainly don't want to be a sanctimonious jerk. You certainly don't want to be arrogant. But if you understand how much you've been forgiven, then you know talk to them and just say, I'm grateful because I've been forgiven so much. I'm just doing this because I love you, and I, I hope you've seen me you know develop in our relationship together a trust that you can trust me and I love you enough to tell you the truth just like somebody had to tell me I've had people say before that this um, this study can be difficult but it would be more difficult if it wasn't being taught by a recovering cultural Christian I hope you've heard me say every time I've taught this look the things i'm talking about i know because i was this person i hope i'm not coming across as condescending or arrogant i'm someone who was going to hell as a cultural christian and i was thankful that somebody finally loved me enough to tell me the truth they cared about me and uh, there has been a, a ripple effect from that uh... that was just due to someone's boldness but the right kind of boldness to say I know enough about the gospel for it to be clear I know enough about the gospel not to be in denial about your behavior and I know enough about the gospel to be bold enough to tell you the truth but to, tr- to speak this truth to you in love remember we've talked about this before they're equal you can't have truth without love but you can't have love without truth. Meaning, at some point, we have to tell the truth. Why do we know how much God loves us? Because he told us the truth about our sinful condition, and there was nothing we could do about it. It is worth it. The unsaved Christian is just as separated from God as any atheist, agnostic, those of other religions that reject the name of Jesus, The cultural Christian is just as lost, and that should be of a really, really big concern. How can we say that we love people? And I'm starting to do it more and more. I've made the mistake of of looking at things in people's lives that I loved and just kind of hoping that it was all going to work out and how dangerous that was. Now I find myself never, never going to let that happen again. Mark uh, Deaver has a quote that, uh, that this chapter ends on, and he says this, God who is holy made us in his image to know him, but we sinned and, and cut ourselves off from him. In his great love, God became a man in Jesus, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law himself, and taking on himself the punishment for the sins of all those who would ever turn and trust in him. He rose again from the dead, showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us has been exhausted. He now calls us to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. If we repent of our sins, and trust in Christ, we are born again into a new life, an eternal life with God. And then he says, if you can just understand what's taking place, you will agree that really is good news. Good news. The gospel is indeed good news. It is only through this gospel that sinful men can be reconciled to a holy God. Believe that enough to love your friends and family to the point that you refuse to allow them to be confused under your watch. Because a Christianity without Christ is no Christianity at all. And we have to understand that. We have to know that it matters, the good news. And that needs to be our approach. I mean, there's things more important than the enthusiasm that we have. That's what's weird. you know. We have the enthusiasm. If we find out there's a good restaurant, we can't wait to tell everybody that we know. Can't wait to tell our family. Can't wait to tell our friends. Uh, If we saw something, a great movie, we can't wait to tell them. If we had a great vacation, we can't wait to tell them where they should go. If they go on the same vacation... We can't wait to tell them about the the highlights from some sporting event that we saw, a new song that we just heard. Uh, the The list just goes on and on. Uh, the 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 most comfortable pair of shoes you've ever worn. These things are all meaningless as far as our eternity, but we get excited about those. And I understand that when you go to approach somebody about their faith, this is. This can be very dangerous ground. You know, we've all heard the you don't you don't want to talk about politics or religion. No, I think the gospel we must talk about it because people's eternity is tied to it. If you're willing to get into some sort of disagreement over politics, your football rivalry, uh, whether we should or shouldn't go to school during a pandemic if you're willing to have those kinds of discussions with people you love and people you know, well, then you ought to be willing to talk to them about the gospel and to sit down and say, let's walk through the standard and be able to produce the scriptures that say, this is the gospel and this isn't because their eternity is hanging in the balance. And I don't think any of us want to withhold the most important thing that ever took place in our life. And if, this, if the gospel and your redemption isn't the most incredible, most important thing that has ever happened to you in your life, if it isn't the one thing that you can always depend on, if it isn't the one constant that no matter what the situation is, because of that, you know that everything really is going to be all right. If you don't feel that way and Jesus hasn't changed you, or if, if he has changed you, but he hasn't changed your kids, he hasn't changed your spouse, he hasn't changed your family, he hasn't changed your friends, he hasn't changed the person in your Sunday school class, the person that you go to lunch with, from time to time. If it, if it hasn't changed you or them, then both of you have got problems. Both of you do. But if it has changed you, and it hasn't changed them, don't you think this is a conversation that you need to have? So when you do, stop being in denial about the way they live their life. Be sure you have clarity of the gospel, what it is and what it isn't, and be ready to be bold, but to be bold and truthful in love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the message today. Thank you for these very practical uh, instructions on how to uh, reach uh, you know, a, a harvest in a field that we're standing right now. In the, we're in the middle of it. You know, None of us could ever say that we don't feel called uh, to be laborers when the har- harvest is plentiful. You called us to be laborers for the harvest that is plentiful. But you also have never sent us to do anything that you haven't empowered us to do. And I pray that game plans are being put together right now all across this country and around the world. Or... The individual listening to this and watching this is assessing themselves to say maybe I'm the person that other people need to talk to. Whatever the case, you've made it clear that we are standing in the middle of a field and we must decide whether we will be one of your laborers or not. And to choose not might be one of the very signals that maybe something's wrong with us. We lay these things down at your feet. Help us, Lord. Go ahead and prompt the heart of those we need to talk to so that they're receptive to what we have to say when you give us the strength to say it. And help us to say it perfectly in love, under your authority, and your truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us. If I can help you in any way, you can always reach me, Rick, at rickandbubba.com. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.